You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the business and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're going to talk to 2024 AAEP President, Dr. Katie Garrett, about what she hopes to achieve during her term and what she sees as the biggest challenges for the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Grice, business consultant and former equine practice owner. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you in 2024 by Care Credit. Dr. Katie Garrett attended Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, where she obtained her Bachelor's of Arts degree in biochemistry and molecular biology in 1999. She then attended veterinary school at Cornell University, graduating with distinction in 2003. Dr. Garrett completed two internships and an equine surgery residency at Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital, achieving board certification in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons in 2012. Her main area of interest is diagnostic imaging, in particular musculoskeletal MRI and laryngeal imaging. She heads Rudin Riddle's equine Diagnostic Imaging Department, and is the 2024 President of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Welcome, Dr. Garrett, and congratulations on your appointment. Um, Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast, and um, I'm sure, as all my predecessors say, it's a real honor to be in this position. You know, it's going to be so great to hear about what your plans are uh, for your upcoming year. I mean, the year is going to go by so quickly, but it's going to be so filled with accomplishment. Um, what are you hoping to achieve in the coming year as the president of the AAEP? Well, I think one really nice thing about the way that the AAEP is structured is it really allows a continuation of projects from year to year, which is great because then we can identify, you know, what's really facing the membership and have a really long-term effort. So I don't want to sound like all of these are my ideas or my initiatives or anything because they're absolutely not. They are a product of an extremely amount of hard work by all of the officers, past and present, present, sorry, um, the board of directors, our committees, I mean, the membership itself. So I I certainly can't take credit for it. Um, But I think some of the areas that I'd really like for us to focus on our, um, first of all, continuing the work of the Sustainability Commission. So for that, our first phase was identifying the problems, and we did that. And then the second phase was identifying solutions. And we're kind of getting towards the end of that phase, I think, a little bit now. I mean, our work will never be done, but... I mean, the deliverables that the committees have come up with and really showcased at the annual convention this year are some amazing work product. So I'm really excited to have the membership start using it. And so I think that, you know, maybe my challenge for this year is making sure that we disseminate all of this great information out to the membership as effectively as possible. Um, You know, we have a really diverse membership and people are going to want to hear this information in a variety of different ways. You know, people learn differently, all of that sort of stuff. So I think it's going to be really exciting to maybe explore some different delivery methods that will 
you know, capture different learning styles and, and different amounts of time. I mean, some people love podcasts, some people are visual learners. So I think really using a variety of things is going to be helpful. Um, but I'm really excited for the membership to start using these tools widely and then get back feedback from our membership on what's working, what's not, what other ideas do they have? Because one of the things that was so exciting to me about the work of the Sustainability Commission so far is that so many of these ideas bubbled up from members. It wasn't, you know, things that people hadn't tried in their practice. It was someone saying, hey, I tried this and it made a real difference. So the grassroots side of it, I think, has made it very practical and very accessible you know, not everything is going to work for everybody, but I think people are hopefully going to walk away with some pearls of wisdom. So that's kind of the first thing that I hope we do. And then the second main thing that I hope we do is to continue the outreach to our membership. I mean, we're at a real time of demographic change. I don't think it's just our industry. I think all professions, all of the country, probably all of the world is you know, undergoing a little bit of this change as, you know, people in the baby boomer generation move towards retirement or maybe working a little less. And, you know, we have new generations entering the workforce. And I think a challenge is going to be for us to make sure that we are engaging all of our members across all of these ages and demographics and practice types, practice sizes, just really embracing the diversity that we have in our organization, because the more perspectives we have access to, the stronger we're going to be. Not everybody is going to agree with everything we do, but usually good decisions are made when you have a lot of diverse ideas and they all kind of come together in a little bit of a melting pot. And hopefully what pops out is the best possible idea. So that's a little more nebulous, but I mean, I think it's something that we can start working on this year and hopefully just continue on with that. I love that idea. That's that's such a wonderful approach, so optimistic, so inclusive. Um, I'm looking forward to this year ahead and watching what gets accomplished. Um, you know, as a former officer, I've just stepped down from my position as treasurer it's going to be a little sad not to be on the inside, but I'll be able to watch as as these things happen. And I'm I'm just so pleased um, to hear about the engagement that that we're getting from all members. And it's going to be a fun year watching. I hope so. Yeah. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By helping to bridge the gap between costs and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. Clients have a flexible way to pay over time for all types of care, and practices get paid in two business days. It's a payment experience everyone can feel good about. You know, when we look toward the next decade, what are your thoughts on what sort of challenges are going to arise? And, you know, I know it's kind of a prospective approach, but what are you thinking is coming down the pike? Well, probably the biggest thing will be something none of us have ever thought of or realized, because that's just how life works. But from what I know now, um, I think two of the big issues are going to be workforce issues and then um, social license to operate. 
So when I think about workforce issues, it's not just about veterinarians. It's also about, you know, our technicians and our support staff and our assistants. So how are we going to make sure that we have that pipeline of veterinarians? I mean, student debt is a big issue. I don't think that's really one that we in the AAP can solve, you know, on the uh, cost of education side of things, but we have to be aware of it. Um, we, we have the generational changes that I talked about before. Um, we need to make sure that we're using our veterinary technicians to the best of our abilities to make ourselves more efficient and more productive. And then one other change that I think we've all sort of thought about is we talk about all of these changes that we want to make our lives as equine veterinarians and our staff practice lives better. But what do we do about underserved areas in the country, for example? I mean, I think sort of at all of our core, a lot of us, we we want to help the horses. So how do we help these smaller pockets where creating a sustainable lifestyle for the veterinary community can come into odds with the financial realities of trying to operate a practice in a smaller, maybe rural, maybe economically disadvantaged area. So I don't have the answer to all of that, but I think that's something that we are going to have to really come to grips with um, because that that problem isn't going to go away, I don't think. Um, right. I think and, some of the things that the federal government is um, trying to do to bring more veterinary care to the rural areas could help with some of the forgiveness. There's a, I think there's a plan afoot to have as much as $75,000 of educational loan debt um, forgiven. So fortunately, I think we have some help coming in that uh, direction. But man, I agree with you so much that that is that's going to be something that that troubles all of us. Uh, veterinarians are kind, and and the you know the whole mission is for the horse. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. There's you know things happening. Um, you know, hopefully those will all materialize, and that'll be fantastic. Um, and then the other thing that I think I'm worried about for the next decade is our social license to operate. I mean, we when we talk about that, we talk about a lot about, you know, that the public essentially, they determine what is socially acceptable, which is, I mean, as it should be. I mean, we should, we should always as a culture be thinking about, you know, what are we doing and why? And is this, is this an okay thing to do? Um, and oftentimes we think about that just in the scope of, for example, horse racing and some of the injuries there. And, the AEP and the horse racing industry and a lot of groups are really trying to move on this issue to make racing safer for the horses, for the jockeys, for, you know, for everybody really. Um, and I think it's important that we share that with the public so that they realize, I mean, we, we in our community, we all know that we love horses and that the vast majority of people in this business are in it for the horses. But I think sometimes it's, it gets hard when you see these tragedies happen on the news. And I mean, I get, I'm sure all of us, I get questions from, I mean, you know, in the Uber on the way from the hotel at the convention to the airport, you know, the guy said, well, what do you do? Well, we got into a whole discussion about, he said, well, why are all these horses dying? And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to talk about this. So I mean, even those little interactions, we have an opportunity to educate people 
as to you know what we're what we're doing and that we care and all of the innovations that we're trying because it's not just the racing industry i mean it is an issue in all types of equine sports um you know and we love our athletes and we want them to be safe and we want to be able to you know continue to share their athletic careers both ourselves but also with the general public so that they can see what we love about horses as well You know, that's so funny you said that about your Uber driver, because the same thing has happened to me recently. I can't remember if it was San Diego or my trip before that, but it is true. People are seeing these news stories. Um, You know, the the last uh, American Horse Council uh, study, which was in 2017, and we hope the new one finally gets out soon, but a third of the United States has had some degree of um you know involvement in horses whether as a spectator or their daughter takes riding lessons or maybe they even own a horse but that's a huge number so it is so incredibly important for us to get the news out there that of all the things that are being done to make sport horse sports safer i agree wholeheartedly yeah, yeah. so important well, and it's something all of us can do. I mean, you're talking to the person in the grocery store line and uh-huh. you know, you never know what might come up. That's right. That's right. Like having having some kind of a uh an answer prepared is when they catch you off guard. It's like, oh my goodness. It's a yeah, it's an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um are there things that you would like our listeners to know about the AAEP? Because, you know, I've been surprised at how many um, people are unaware of things that that uh, that are that seem very open and available in the AAEP. And yet, you know, people don't know. Yeah, I I have, too. And I think some of that is I mean, we live in such an information overload age. Um, You know, I mean, when I look back and look at the number of, you know, communications that I get from the AAEP, there's a tremendous amount of information in them. I mean, there's infectious disease disease guidelines and there's, you know, outbreak updates. And then there's information from the commission. And then there's, you know, some horse owner education. I mean, it is so, I mean, honestly, like we're privileged to be part of an organization that is so incredibly productive, but sometimes it's like drinking from a fire hose because you cannot possibly absorb all of this stuff at once. So, I mean, it's a great problem to have. So um, if you're wondering if there is a resource for something, A, there probably is. And hopefully you can find it on the website. And uh, the new website is coming ideally in early 2024. I know. I'm super excited for this because hopefully we'll be able to more effectively, you know, have people find what they're looking for. Like, Ooh, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, you know, maybe this is a case of vesicular stomatitis. What do I do? Well, you know what? You need to be able to find that information really quickly and really efficiently so that, I mean, that's what this, that's what the guidelines were designed for to help you. So I think we need to, you know, do a better job of disseminating all of this wealth of information that we have. And then a little bit sort of along the same line is I think sometimes the way that the AAP works as an organization can be a little bit opaque. And, you know, I have certainly been guilty of forgetting that 
I'm a little bit on the inside, so I should not assume that my level of knowledge of how things work is widely shared amongst the membership um, because it's not. So, you know, for example, you know, just how boards of board of director members are selected. I mean, it seems like, especially coming out of the general membership meeting this past convention, it seems like there were a lot of people who they wanted to know, but they simply did not know. So um, hopefully this next year, we're going to have some more educational pieces coming out, really just on the nuts and bolts of, hey, here is how you work to volunteer in the AEP. Here is how the members are selected. You know, for example, it's, you know, it's not done solely by the officers. It's done by, you know, there's a whole committee and they look through every single person who's filled out a form to try and match people up with the volunteer opportunities. You know, ultimately the officers are the one who, you know, make the final call, but generally speaking, they go with the recommendations of the member engagement committee who works so hard to, you know, really dig down into the membership. And one of the focuses over the last couple of years is involving new people. So people who have not volunteered before, you know, yes, we certainly need more experienced um, perspectives on any committee or any task force or any working group of any sort. But, you know, we've really made a concerted effort to involve new people. And I think I think members may not know that because we have a really unique problem as an organization in that we have too many people who want to volunteer for the available spots. I think Nick in the office told me we have 700 people who have filled out the volunteer interest form. I mean, other organizations are are searching to fill their volunteer slots. And we have much the opposite problem, which is we have so many people who want to volunteer and not enough spots. So, you know, we have, you know, more ways to volunteer than we have before. For example, you know, going to a student chapter, you know, some more outreach things, which I mean, that all counts as volunteering. It's not just about sitting on a committee, for example. Everything helps. And to be honest, sometimes those grassroots efforts where you're going to a 4-H club or a high school career day, those can be more impactful than anyone realizes. You know, it's those little interactions that make a high school student think, oh, I can imagine myself in this career. So, I mean, all of those tiny little moments are incredibly powerful. So I think uh, I think some of those uh, outreach efforts as a volunteer are also personally more inspiring than sometimes the committee work, which can be sometimes a little detail oriented, and sometimes for those that like to, you know, have things happen quickly. Um, and see a change quickly can be a little frustrating even. So if you have an opportunity to have one of those positions as an somebody who's doing outreach, um, it may be personally very fulfilling and don't ever feel like it is a second tier or even a third tier of, of being involved in the AAEP. Um, I think it's a, so, so important as you said. Yeah. And if you're doing one of those things, you know, reach out to the, you know, if you have a relationship with a local group, reach and you want some materials or slides or any of that stuff, reach out to the AEP office because they have so many resources that, you know, you can start from or adapt or anything like that. 
where you're not having to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, let this organization help you with your outreach. Great point. Very great point. Um, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know as we uh, finish talking today? Um, I guess the the one message that I hope that people have is that, you know, we, the AEP as an organization, like, we want to hear from you. I mean, you call, like, call the office, call me, email me, you know, don't, don't feel afraid to reach out to someone, to any of the board members. I mean, we, we want to hear from you. We are committed to a culture of inclusion and belonging. And, you know, hopefully we are making that clear in the sense that, you know, just write an email or pick up the phone or tech, you know, whatever you want to do. But we want to hear from you, the membership, about what you want and how you think we're doing. Um, I think that's probably the thing that I want to leave people with is that, you know, this is your organization. You know, there might be leadership involved, but the organization is about the membership. And, you know, at the core, that's, you know, we want to make sure your voice is heard. So please do not be afraid to speak up in whatever way you are comfortable doing so. I love, I love what, what you're telling the members, because I think it's ever so important. Um, I think one of the things that I would love for people to uh, let you know is what channel of communication works the best for them, because gosh, there's so many and keeping up with email or going on Facebook or like, sometimes I think as the AAEP, we don't know what channels work the best. Like you said, the information overload, maybe it's just, there's too much information, but I think that's a piece of information that people people could really share and make a difference um, in getting information out. That is a fantastic point. I think that's exactly right is we we may think we're communicating in the way that you want, but if we're not, tell us. Or if we are, tell us that too. Because um, that's, uh, you know, that's a little hard to kind of gather information on. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. Even if it seems like a little thing, it can make a big difference. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming and joining us today. Um, And thank you all for joining us for the Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit. And to all my listeners out there, be brave, embrace change, 